The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. We're beginning a new series this morning in the book of Philippians. And uh, there's a couple of ways that you can engage the book of Philippians as, as we are going to prepare looking at it on Sunday morning. And so if you've got a bulletin this morning, I discuss several of those ways um, on the article in the front of the bulletin. Also, there's some handouts in the back that you can take home with you and you can dive deeper into this book. But I want us to begin by reading just the first 11 verses from the book of Philippians. And so Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. I love baseball, and because it's now September, it means that, that we're close to the playoffs. And the teams who win their division, they're going to be the teams that advance. And many of them have spent years building a, a team that could possibly get them to the World Series. And it takes multiple components to have a successful team. You need offense. You need players who can hit the ball. You need players who hit for a high batting average so that they can get on base. And then you need players who hit for power who are going to, to drive in runs. And you also need defense. You need, you need starting pitching. You need uh, people who are good at their positions, uh, players who are athletic, and players who have uh, a strong arm. But one of the most important players on a baseball team is the closer, you know, he's the pitcher who comes in in the ninth inning, the final inning. And he's the guy that, that you send out when maybe you only have a, a one-run lead and the game is on the line. And his job is to get everyone that he faces out without allowing even one run scored. It's a difficult job. In fact, it's the most stressful position in baseball. The, the closer has to finish the game. Mariano Rivera was the best closer in baseball. 
He had 652 recorded saves in his career, and that's the most of, of any baseball player. It pains me to put his picture on the screen because I'm a Red Sox fan, you know. And if you were the opposing team, you didn't want to see Rivera coming into the game because you knew that he was a very high percentage. He was very, very likely to get the save. He was going to finish the game for his team. Well, in our text this morning, Paul writes to the Philippians and he tells them that God is going to finish what he started. Look at what he writes in verse 6. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so God starts and God finishes. And Paul wants the Philippians to understand where this is all going. Baptism is the beginning of a journey. And sometimes when we are in the middle of a journey, it could be any journey, it's difficult to see how it's all going to end. Sometimes we have to just take a step back and remember where we came from and remember where we're going. And Paul's message to the Philippians at the beginning of this letter is God has this. And we must put our trust in God knowing that he will complete what he began. And so what is this journey towards? We're told a little bit about it in verses 9 through 11. Where Paul writes, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. We are on a journey to be like Christ, to abound in love, to be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, now thankfully, we don't have to do this all on our own. If it was up to us, we could never do it ourselves. No matter how hard we tried, we could never be exactly like Jesus. You know, we would get a few things right, but we would fall short somewhere. And we were reminded at the beginning of Philippians that we are not on our own. That, that God is working in each of us to transform us into the image of Jesus. And he's going to finish what he started. Now, since God is at work in us, does this mean that, that we should be passive? Does it mean that we should just take a step back and just let God do his thing? Well, no, that's, that's not how God works. God could do it all if he wanted, but God chooses to partner with human beings. And this is how he operates throughout Scripture. You can pick up the Bible beginning in Genesis 1 and, and see how God partners with human beings. God will call someone and he will give that human being a mission. And God's going to help them along the way, but he expects whoever he calls to be an active part of the mission that he has given them. And the same is true for us. We can identify 
several things that God wants for us to do in, in verses 9 through 11. This, this is sort of the goal that he's working towards, but, but we have a part in this goal as well. He wants us to abound in love. He wants us to be pure and blameless. He wants us to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And, and this is something that should be our desire. We should want to be loving. We should want to be pure and blameless and, and righteous. And these are the things that we should be working towards on a daily basis. We are to grow in love. That is love for God, love for our neighbor, and even uh, love for our enemies. And love in the Bible is an action. It is something we do. This, this means that it can be measured. And so we are loving God when we give him our time. The, the language that the Bible often uses to describe the relationship between God and people is marriage language. And so when we are baptized, we enter into a covenant with God, just as when we are married, we enter into a covenant with our spouse. And one of the ways that we show love for our spouse is by giving them our time and attention. And God desires the same thing. When we come to worship, we come to focus our attention on God. We come to praise and glorify Him. Worship is not about us. We are not the focus of worship. It's not about what I want or I like or, or I desire. It's about what God wants. And so we, we love God by giving Him our full attention in worship. And, and hopefully we're going to do this for more than one hour a week. You know, what would your spouse have said... If, if right before you got married, you know, you told him or her, well, you know what, there, there are 168 hours in a week. I'll give you my full attention for one of those hours. Yeah. Well, they, they would probably not like that too much. The, uh, the, the, the wedding would be called off until that point was settled, you know. There might be some marriage counseling there, some pre-marriage counseling. Well, well, our spouse, we understand that our spouse deserves more than one hour a week of our attention. And so does God. There are other ways that we love God as well. We, we love God by keeping his commandments. And so in First John, or in, in John, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we, we love God by doing what he says. We love God by loving God what he has created. And so loving our neighbor is the second greatest command we're told in scripture, but it's also another way that we show our love for God. God wants us to love our neighbor because every person, every human being has been created in his image. Every human has been created by God and God loves every person. And so we get this, you know, we have experienced this in our own lives we love people who love the people we love. And so if someone does something for my wife or if someone does something for my children, I'm going to love them because of that. We are filled with delight when this happens. And the same is true of God. He, he loves to see us doing good for others. We are also to seek to be pure and blameless. 
Another way to put this is that we are to strive to live holy lives. We are to be like Jesus. And this is not easy, but we must remember that, that God is at work in us. He's going to help us reach our goal. And so one of the clearest passages that describes this is found in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul writes there, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that's the, the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so this passage teaches that, that God is working to transform us. It also teaches, if you notice there, that it doesn't happen all at once. It's a journey. It happens from one degree to, to, to another. Now, at the same time, we're not to be passive in this journey towards transformation. Uh, one thing that we're, do, we're to do here in the text is to behold the glory of the Lord. And so, in other words, we are to focus on Jesus. And that's where our attention needs to be. I believe that, that one of the greatest weapons Satan has at his disposal is distraction. You know, Satan doesn't have to simply get us to do what is wrong or get us to deny our faith. All he has to do is distract us from focusing on Jesus. And if he does that, he's won. And we live in a world full of distractions. And there are many different things that, that compete for our attention. And Satan is going to use each and every one of them. We grow in holiness when we can stay focused on Jesus and put those distractions to the side. Last, Paul mentions being filled with the fruit of righteousness. And so fruit is something that we produce and so we are to produce righteous deeds or righteous acts. Um, you know, social media has filled our world with opinions about what people believe is right. But Jesus says we are to not give people our opinions. He says we are to show people what is right. And so as others are talking and posting and, and tweeting, he says we are to be doing this is because actions change the world, not opinions. And righteous deeds are things like feeding the hungry, helping others, you know, comforting the sick, and, and any other um, acts of kindness. It is partnering with God to right all the wrongs in the world. The, the evidence of the fruit of righteousness is that things are better than they were before. What was crooked is now straight. What was broken is now mended. What was wrong is now right. It is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what we are to be doing as Christians. We are to do what Jesus did. And as we do this, as we do these deeds, we are changed. The things that we do have an effect on who we are. And so as we do the things that Jesus did, we become like Jesus. We are transformed. In Isaiah 64 and verse 8, the prophet says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. 
We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Paul wanted that church at Philippi to know, and he wants us to know today, that God is at work in us, that God is molding us, God is shaping us, God is transforming us into the image of Christ. And we are partners with him in this effort. Our desire is to be like Jesus and to do the things of Jesus. And as we strive towards this goal, God works to soften our hard hearts and to mend the damage that sin has done. Now, if we were left to do this on our own, we would be hopeless. But because God is working in us, we are hopeful. God working in us should lead us to be filled with joy. We should rejoice because we are not alone. God is with us and God, as Paul says here at the beginning of this letter, God is a finisher. He is going to complete the work that he began in you. Now, we might doubt ourselves at times, but there is no doubting God. He's going to do what he says, and God always keeps his word. We are all on a journey, a journey with God to become who we were meant to be, a people formed by God into the image of his Son. And this is what God began and it is what he has promised to finish. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging that, that we need your help. That we cannot do this alone. And we're so thankful that you're with each and every one of us. That, that you have promised to be with us to reach our goal. And Father, I pray that we'll take comfort in this fact. I pray that when times are hard or difficult, and when we begin to doubt ourselves, that we'll remember your promise and that we'll put our trust in you and that we'll rejoice even though that we are weak, even though that we fall from time to time. It's not us that's going to finish this. It's you. Father, we're so thankful for your son who's made all this possible by going to the cross to die for our sins, by overcoming sin and death on that cross. We pray this in his name. Amen.